you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15 is where we'll be again this morning. We are working our way through Acts, the end of Acts 14 and all of Acts 15, looking at the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15. pray together. Father, we're humbled by the fact that you did what we just sang about. We thank you for the plan of redemption. Thank you, Christ, for dying for your people. Freeing us from the curse of sin penalty of sin and the power of sin God we have so much to be thankful for it's mind blowing so God we just thank you for setting your love upon us and showing us your infinite grace our prayer is very simply at this moment God in time we pray first and foremost for the illumination of your spirit now. That you give us eyes to see, that you give us ears to hear, that you give us a heart that's willing to receive and a heart that's willing to apply what's being taught. We also pray, God, that you humbly will bring someone from death to life today as the gospel shared your spirit will take the gospel and apply it to that dead heart and sin and resurrect them to new life in Christ no one can do that but you God in fact Paul talks about the foolishness of preaching so we'll trust that through the preaching of the gospel that you'll take that with the power of the spirit and bring someone to faith this morning. Whether it's someone that's here listening in person or whether it's someone that's listening online. And then God, we also pray that for those of us that are in the faith, that as we go back through the gospel and look at how the Jerusalem Council just really talk through a few things in regards to what the faith is and what the gospel is that you'll renew within us, God, an appreciation for what you've done. Especially for those of us that are gathered here this morning that are not Jewish in ethnicity. We have so much to be thankful for that you've grafted us in. We're the ethne, we're the nations. But yet in your love, you saved Jew and Gentile alike. So we're grateful. So we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Christ, may you be exalted to your rightful place in this moment in time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we pick back up in our study this morning of this passage of scripture in Acts, let's kind of think about where we've been. Where we've been beginning at the end of chapter 14 was finding Paul and Barnabas winding up their missionary journey. 
their first missionary journey being sent out by the church at Antioch and then having traveled in different locations, returning to the church at Antioch. And they give a report of what God had done among the Jews and specifically among the Gentiles. How people had come to faith in Christ, how the gospel was transforming lives. Pastor Jim, how churches had been started and planted. And then the Bible tells us there at the end of chapter 14 that one of the things that happens is after Paul and Barnabas had been there a while, that there were some folks that came in from Jerusalem and began to teach something that was contrary to what had been taught in regards to how a person is saved. And last week, we began to unpack that and we went to the scriptures ourselves and we just really took some time just to, to kind of look at, well, what does the Bible teach about salvation? How is a person made right with the Holy God? And if you remember, we went to the Gospels, and we really just looked at what Christ said himself. We also looked at what was ultimately at stake if they got this wrong at this moment in time, that if somehow the elders got it wrong, then God's glory was at stake, and the purity of the church was at stake, and genuine conversion was at stake, and just the loss of the gospel itself was also at stake. There's a lot going on at that moment, this moment in time. You know, the other reality is kind of the elephant in the room was the, the dissension that was there among different ethnic groups. Is the gospel really for all people or is the gospel not for all people? So they had to wade through that. Then they would have to wade through what does the law teach? What does freedom look like in the law? So those are some of the things that we'll get to later. We won't get to that this morning. My aim this morning is really pick up where we left off, and I, I want us to really just focus in on how the apostles and the elders resolve this discussion of how a person is saved by looking at the scriptures. And in particular, one of the things that we're going to see this morning is how God used Peter. How God used Peter, how God had really prepared Peter for this moment in time, and, and how God used him to really navigate a very difficult situation and bring unity around the truth of the gospel. So with all that being said, I want to invite you to look with me back at chapter 14. Look with me at verse 24. And we'll read from 24 all the way through verse 11 this morning in chapter 15. Notice the Bible says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Chapter, chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas... And some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem 
to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered to concern, excuse me, gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We're going to focus on verses 7 through 11. This is an interesting part of how all of this unfolds. God stirs Peter's heart that there's been much discussion among the elders and the apostles, and Peter stands to speak. And God uses him to resolve this issue that's going on in the life of the church. And I want you to notice something with me that's very easy to overlook in, in reading this. And I want you to notice the emphasis that Peter places on God. It's a really short speech, is it not? Probably could have said these words in five minutes or less, Pastor Jim. But in this short speech, I want you to notice... Verse 7, the name for God is used, God. Verse 8, God. Verse 10, God. Why would Peter do this? Why would he place so much emphasis at this moment in time on God? Well, I think you already know the answer to this question. He would put all this emphasis on God because it matters where you start, does it not? So it's almost as if God in this moment in time is the North Star or the North on, the North on a compass. It's, it's, a, it's a moment where Peter is helping them get their bearings because we know this when there's discussion and when there's debate and when there's contention and when there's conflict, it's so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to lose who this really is about. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in other things if we're not 
careful, it's so easy to get caught up in us personally being right. Amen? Wanting our way. Wanting our opinion. Wanting our idea to be heard and our idea and our thought to be emphasized. Peter kind of cuts through all that and reorients the entire group that's there, that's gathered to, to find a solution to this issue biblically. And he says, you know, we don't need to focus on man to find a solution. We need to focus on God. And I think we would all agree this morning that whatever the issue is, whether it's worry and anxiety or finances or whatever it may be, or a situation like this, we need to go back and reorient ourselves always to God. And that's what he does. In fact, in these verses that aren't very long, there are seven ways that, that Peter really emphasizes God to help them find a Christ-centered, God-centered, Godward solution to this huge moment in time that's looming in this church. So let me give you a couple of those. Let me give you all seven, rather. Number one, number one, look at verse seven. God chose to send Peter. God chose to send Peter. God chose to send Peter to the Gentiles in order to preach the gospel to them. Look at verse seven. Peter stands up. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Why is Peter saying this? He's taking them back to the beginning. He's taking them back shortly after the ascension. He's taking them back to those early days, so to speak, to remind them that it was God who sent someone to the Gentiles. That they were content to stay in Jerusalem. They were content to stay in Judea. They were content to stay among their own ethnicity. They were content to just kind of do their thing. Stay in their bubble. Stay in their lane, so to speak. But it was God that had a different plan. Because God has always had a different plan. Which was to always take the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. So it wasn't Peter's doing. It wasn't James's doing. It wasn't John's doing. It wasn't any of the other disciples doing. It was God that chose Peter to send him to the nations. In fact, we could back up even further, could we not, Pastor Tom? It was God's choice to save Peter. It was God's choice to call Peter. In fact, in your mind, you could probably think back to the day where Jesus finds James and John and Peter and Andrew, just fishermen, men in their nets saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter wasn't looking for God, but God found Peter. God had chosen Peter and called Peter and sent Peter and set him apart for the gospel ministry. God sent Peter to the Gentiles. We looked at all that beginning in chapter 8 of the book of Acts and how it all ultimately culminated there in 
Cornelius's house in chapter 10. Let's not forget the Apostle Paul in chapter 9, where Paul is called out by Christ as he's getting ready to go to Damascus and persecute Christians. This whole gospel story, this whole plan of redemption begins really in eternity past. In the council among the Godhead that Ephesians 1 speaks of. Here's my point. You could pick any person in history and it's not about them. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God who chose people to be saved. This is what Peter is drawing off of. He's saying, listen, fellas, listen. Let's not forget in all this debate and all this contention and all this we're trying to solve about the gospel. Let's keep it simple. Let's get back to the basics. Here are the basics. We were not looking for God. He found us. He found me. And he sent me. And he sent me specifically to the Gentiles. Now, look back at the text. Number two. He made a choice to send me, Peter said. But when you look at verse 7, God also made a choice that the Gentiles would what? Hear the gospel. To hear the gospel. God in His grace this morning, I don't know if you've connected this dot in your heart. I know it's a little chilly. And I know it's a little early. But it's a dot that we need to connect that it's by God's grace and God's goodness and God's mercy that you are here this morning hearing the gospel preached to you. You say, well, wait a minute. No, I got up and I made the decision and I put on my clothes and I got in the car and I ate breakfast and I came here. True. But it was God at work in your heart to get you here. And it's God in His grace that's given you the health to be here. And it's God in His grace that's given you the ability to hear. Amen? So Peter's saying, look, not only did God choose me, but it was God who chose for these Gentiles to hear the gospel. It's pretty awesome. Go back to the text, number three. Not only would they hear, but they would also what? God chose that they would believe. That they would believe. And with true repent, true belief, rather, also comes true repentance. So it's, it's God's grace, God's choosing that these, that these Gentiles that Peter's referencing would not only hear the gospel preached to them, but also believe the gospel that was being preached to them. That God and His Spirit would work in the heart to not only open the spiritual ears, but open someone's spiritual heart, not only open someone's spiritual heart, but give them a spiritual heart transplant to cut out that dead heart in sin and give them a heart of flesh that they would be born again, evidenced by repentance and faith. Not only that, but look back at the text. Verse eight. Peter emphasizes. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Now, if we're really honest this morning before God, the reality is we try to hide a lot of times what's in our heart, do we not? We do. 
There are moments where we're rebelling against God that no one knows about. There are moments where we know we're not right with God, but, but no one may know about that. We are really good at kind of putting on a front. We're really good at going through the motions. We're, we're really good at being fake at times, myself included. But God knows the hearts. And not only that, spiritually, even more than that, I want you to go to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 9. Pastor Eric read this this morning for the call to worship. Second Timothy chapter 2. I think I'm in the wrong passage. Hang on one second. Verse 19. Thank you. I'm looking at, I wrote down the wrong thing. Thank you, Miss Kim. Thank you. That looks familiar. Look at verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Look at this. Look at this verse. Look at this sentence. The Lord what? The Lord knows who are His. The Lord knows who are His. God knows the heart. God not only knows our true spiritual condition as a believer, but as an unbeliever. God, hear me say this. God knows your heart, your spiritual condition. God knows who is, who is His. Why is that important in what Peter is saying? We need to be careful, do we not? We need to be mindful, do we not? Hear me say this carefully. Those of us that believe in God's sovereignty and salvation, I'm afraid that at times in some circles, we're, we're very quick. We're very quick, very quick at times to talk or maybe say something unwise or hasty in regards to maybe sister congregations. You should be very careful with that. God knows who's his. God knows who's his. God knows who's his. There are more pure churches and there's less pure churches. But regardless of where someone's at, wherever, whatever church we're talking about, at the end of the day, every church should be reforming biblically. So we need to be humble. Whatever we know, we only know by the grace of God. If we're in the faith, we're only in the faith because of the grace of God. God knows who's his and he can deal with his bride. And there are just some things we just need to leave there and just be very careful with. And so I think one of the things that Peter is doing here is he's reminding the apostles, and he's reminding the elders, and he's reminding the Judaizers, he's reminding these people, listen, God knows if these Gentiles are his. We need to be careful. But there's also a warning for somebody who might think they're in the faith and they're not. God really knows if you're his. My call to you this morning would be to repent and believe Christ. Believe the gospel. That he lived, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. That he died the death that you deserve. 
that he's given you the life and the righteousness that you don't deserve. And that if you'll call to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. So Peter's just simply in this moment just saying, listen, God knows the hearts. And we need to be careful. And just because in this context, just because they're Gentiles, just because they're 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 not Jewish, just because they're they're ethnically other something other than Jews doesn't mean that they that they're not in the faith just because they haven't been circumcised. Just need to be mindful of that. Now, keep going. When Peter's not done. Look at verse 8. God does something in verse 8 that's, that's very important in showing that he knows the heart, that these Gentiles are actually genuinely converted. Notice what he says. Not only, number 4, does God know the heart, but, but number 5, look. God bore witness to their genuine conversion by giving them the Holy Spirit. And Peter says he did that for them just like he did for us, guys. That's what he's doing. He says, now, wait a minute. Let's think about Pentecost. What did God do at Pentecost, fellas? Here's what God did at Pentecost. He poured his spirit out upon us. And then he's referencing clearly Cornelius's conversion and when the spirit of God fell upon them in Acts 10 at the end of that chapter by simply saying and the spirit of God fell on them in the exact same way that the spirit of God fell upon us he's saying we need to tread lightly we need to be biblical we need to stick to the scriptures we don't need to add anything we don't need to take anything away that's what he's doing here He's saying, let's look back at what God did. God saved them. God knows the heart. God gave them the spirit, just like he gave us the spirit of God. And the same is true for people today. Ephesians speaks of that. When someone comes to faith in Christ, they're sealed by the spirit of God. And they're kept, the Bible tells us, until the day of redemption. So while the method may have been different today than it was in Pentecost and what it, when it was in Acts 10. The reality is for every genuine believer, they're still given the spirit of God to seal them and keep them until the end. Now look back at the text. Verse 9. God makes no distinction. God makes no distinction. Praise God for this. God makes no distinction, Peter says, between us and them. If you were to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and you were, to, you were to look at verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 2, one of the things that you would notice that Paul does is he takes the Ephesians back to the whole temple dynamic. And if you remember with the temple, there was a place where the Jews could go, and there was a place where the Gentiles could go. There was a place where the Gentiles could go, but they could not go where the Jews could go. Do you remember that? In Christ, he has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to himself. And you'll read about it this week in the Passion. As you study on your own, that when Christ died to physically show that there's no distinction any longer, that all men can come to Christ through 
our mediator through Christ, our great high priest, the curtain of the veil was what? Was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that now men can come to God through our great high priest. And all of those distinctions and all of those barriers and all of those things are now gone. And both Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. So what Peter is getting at, he's saying, fellas, don't you remember what Christ taught us? Don't you remember what the scriptures prophesied? Don't you remember what God has done for humanity through Christ? That means that no matter your ethnicity today, that means no matter your social background today, it means no matter what your economic status is today, if you will bow your head and heart to King Jesus, he won't turn you away. He will accept you on his terms. Promises. That all those divisions are gone. That's what Peter's getting at when he says he makes no distinction. Now notice the text again. What does he do to the Gentiles' heart? This is number six. We keep taking notes. God cleanses their hearts by faith. It's really awesome. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, he's, he's drawing off of the Old Testament to help them understand all these things that God had taught through these purification laws that, that what we really needed on the inside of us is not only our, our heart to be changed, but we need to be cleansed as well. And so he's saying both Jew and Gentile have been cleansed by God. It's pretty awesome. I want you to go with me to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Look at verses 6 through 8. Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 8. Pastor Jim, I still remember you preaching through this. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. And I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. He's talking about his suffering servant here. To open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Jump over to verse 16, same chapter. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know and paths that they have not known. I will guide them and I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I do not forsake them. It's pretty awesome. 
This is what Peter is getting at. He's saying, listen, these Gentiles that were once blind, that didn't know anything about God or, or had very little knowledge, they only had general revelation and maybe what they saw or maybe what they heard in a synagogue at some point or whatever they had a, some kind of conversation with a Jewish person. But God has opened their eyes and brought them into faith. Go back with me now to Acts 15. Notice how Peter ties all this together. After having given, given these, saying, these seven things, and all flowing from God, not man. Notice verse 10. Here's the conclusion. Now, therefore, why are we, what? Putting God to the test. This is still about God. This is still about God. This is not about man. He's not turned to man yet. He's not turned to any of that. He's saying, listen, if we change the gospel, then if we go the wrong direction, and if we add something to it, or if we take something away from it, do you understand the significance, brothers, of what we are about to do? We are putting God to the test. We don't have the right to trifle with the things of God. Our responsibility is to preach the gospel Till we die and not change it. This is what he's saying. He's saying, do you understand the significance? Look at what I've just told you. God has done this and 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 God has done this. Brothers, we need to be careful because if we change it, we're putting God to the test. Do you remember what Christ told Satan? Mark 4, I believe. Don't test the Lord your God. The creature has no right to say to the creator anything. We need to be careful and mindful. Go back to the text. So after warning them, he then says, look, are we going to put a yoke or a burden upon them that we couldn't even keep? We couldn't even keep this. Verse 11. Notice where he lands. Now. He gets the humanity. But we believe that we will be saved. How? By grace, through faith, in Christ, for the glory of God and as the scriptures have revealed, right? We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now notice how he ends the verse. Just as what? They will. Isn't that interesting what he does? Who's he actually putting the emphasis of salvation on in this moment in time? It's not really on the Jews, is it? It's on the Gentiles. He flips the script. He blows their mind. He's like, look. Look at how they're saved. They're saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, as the scriptures have revealed alone. And we will too. Isn't that cool? It's really awesome. There's this, this is a really significant moment for this, not only the church in Jerusalem, but for the Gentiles as well. 
And I thought about this just to end. If you were to go to John chapter 12 and you were to look at verse 32, you would find where Christ says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Pastor Eric, I couldn't help but think, all men means all men. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue will be saved when they look to Christ. But you must look to Christ. You must repent of your sin and you must trust Christ alone for your salvation. That's my prayer for you today. May we hang on to the gospel and preserve the gospel. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture. It's so helpful in so many ways. It teaches us, first of all, that we need to center any solution that we have to any problem that we have on you. We need to start with you, not ourselves. It also teaches us we need to go to the scriptures and look at what you've taught us biblically and and look at how your scriptures unfold biblical truths and theological truths and, and different things that we can put by your spirit's help, different pieces of the puzzle we can put together to help us resolve any theological issue or conflict or or just anything that we're having practically going on in our lives. We need to start with you. And then just the significance, Father, of the moment of of when we go against your word, the sobering reality that we're putting you to the test. Wow. Forgive us, Lord. And then the good news that you save people still today, just like you did then, when they come to you, repentance and faith. God, may we be as a church a people that will die for this truth. That you save sinners, you save your people and the response to the gospel of repentance and faith in Christ alone. God, we love you. I pray for anyone that's wrestling with this even while they're listening. God, I pray that you bring them from death to life even now. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God. Thank you. May we sing this next song with the joy that wells up from within us of what you've done for us in Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet as we worship the Lord together through song.